Section 7 of The Diary of a Country Parson by James Woodford. Read by John Greenman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 1765. January 9th. Mr. Bridges Priest, vicar of the cathedral at Wells, called upon me this afternoon and laid at our house all night. I took him with me up to Mr. Clark's, where we supped and spent the evening. Mr. Bridges made himself very disagreeable to all the company and exposed himself much. We had great part of Cato, note, Addison's tragedy, performed this evening, and done tolerably well. January 10th. Mr. Bridges breakfast with me, and afterward he went home to Wells. I am not sorry for it. January 16th. Papa and Mama returned this afternoon with their maid, Elizabeth Clothier, from London, perfectly well and easy. Blessed be God for all great mercies bestowed upon me, a miserable and sinful creature. January 29th. Mr. John Penny sent me a small plum cake and a pair of white gloves this morning. I buried his little maid this afternoon at Cary Church. February 4th. Breakfast, dined, supped, and laid at Babcury again. I had a view taken this day by Roger Coles, carpenter at C. Carey, and Robin Francis, mason at Ansford, of the Parsonage House, etc., at Babcury, by order of my rector, Mr. Cheese, and they have been at it all day, and they have brought in a fair account, and the least they will do it for which was, in the whole, exactly a hundred and nine pounds tenpence. They dined with me here, as did my clerk, Sam Hutchins, as he assisted them, and we had a fine leg of mutton boiled, brought from Ansford on purpose. Mr. Cheese desired a dinner for them, and liquor, for which I have charged Mr. Cheese eight shillings. I gave each of the artificers five shillings, gave their assistant Sam Hutchins one shilling. They stayed here till ten o'clock this evening. February 5th, breakfast, dined, supped, and laid at Babcury again. I have been busy today in pruning the apple tree in my garden there. February 11th, breakfast, and dined at Babcury. For things that my old woman at Babcury has bought me this last week, paid her seven and a half pence, fees for half a pound of butter, four pence, for one pound of beef steaks, threepence for some cream, halfpence. Gave Mary, for her trouble, four and a halfpence. In another entry, February 18th, he gives, for four eggs, one pence, and cheese, three and a halfpence per pound. Candles, on the other hand, are seven and a halfpence per pound. These prices give some indication of the immense difference in the purchasing power of money a hundred and fifty years ago, as far as concerns these particular commodities. English butter is today, 1923, about three times the 1765 price, English beefsteaks about eight times, eggs, they are still dear in February, about eight or nine times, cheese about six times. Among the articles named we score only in candles, which can now be purchased for five and a half pence per pound. Candles in the direst day were, however, heavily taxed which largely accounts for the high price. February 11th continued. For laying a wager with Betty Critch, my old woman's daughter concerning frosty weather last Thursday, and losing with her, paid sixpence. February 12th. 
I went to inquire when Mr. Burge went to London, but he went last Sunday, as my father and uncle wanted to send five guineas to cousin Bob Woodford, who was last Thursday appointed surgeon's first mate to the Husser Brigade 28 guns, now cruising on the coasts of Ireland, and as he must go to her, he begs a little money of them to go. February 17th. Breakfast, dined, supped, and laid at Babcree. I performed the duty of the day there. I churched a poor woman, and for doing it this morning she gave me sixpence. As she was poor, and has a large family, and is a very honest woman, I sent it her back to her house, and gave her besides sixpence. February 28th. Spent part of the afternoon at Mr. Lewis Bowers with him, his brother, Parson Gapper of East Charlton, and one Mr. Taunton, a Roman. Mr. Taunton is a young, sensible man of great wealth. March 4th. After dinner I returned to Ansford, where I supped, spent the evening, and laid. On my return home I called upon Mr. Andrew Russ at Clanville, and spent the remaining part of the afternoon with him, Mr. Dodd, a baker, and a Roman Catholic, Mr. Thomas, and Seth Burge. Mr. Dodd and myself touched a little upon religion, which I own was not right at all. For going through Avard Turnpike paid onepence. March 18th, breakfast, dined, supped, and laid again at Babgury. I brewed half a hogshead of strong beer to-day for my rector, Mr. Cheese, and I had three bushels and a half of malt and three pound of old hops. I afterwards brewed half a hogshead of ale with the grain and hops for myself, and added to the grains half a bushel of fresh malt, which I owe one Mrs. Cook for, of West Camel. Gave my old woman the grains which she sold to one Solomon Arthur for one shilling. March 25th. I received this morning of Elizabeth Clothier, my mother's maid, the sum of ten pounds, to keep for her, and I shall give her ten shillings per annum, which is at the rate of five per centum for the use of it. I do it purely to encourage her to be careful, and to make her saving. March 27th. I christened two children, twins, of Robin Francis's this afternoon at Ansford Church for my father, by the names of Joseph and Mary, being born on Lady Day last. March 30th. I had my face and head shaved at Bruton by one Hitchcock, who lives with one Gray, a barber there, and he shaved me exceedingly well. I gave him sixpence. Coming from Bruton, my horse threw me, but I thank God I received no manner of hurt. April 4th. Gave Betty Critch, my old woman's daughter, sixpence, to get her spinning work done in proper time, as I had hindered her. April 7th. My clerk, Sam Hutchins, sat up all last night drinking, therefore he did not attend at the Holy Sacrament. It was Easter Day, for which I gave him a severe lecture, and he promised me never to be guilty of the same again, which I hope he will not. I had a piece of roast beef for dinner to-day, and I had my clerk, Sam Hutchins, and his cousin Thomas Hutchins, my gardener, to dine here to-day. April 18th. Mr. Penny is presented to the living of Evercreech, to hold it for a minor, Justice Robart's son of twelve years old, and is therefore going to quit my father's curacy at C. Carey, which I am to undertake for him, and Babcree too, but I cannot serve Babcree but once a Sunday. 
on april twenty ninth he goes to oxford and stays there till may twenty third reading his wall lectures for his m a degree note see pages one hundred and fifty eight to one hundred and sixty two for an account of the course for the b a and m a degrees at oxford in the eighteenth century may twenty third i got up this morning at three o'clock and went to the star inn in the corn market where i took coach and set forth for bath which goes there to-day gave our porter for calling me this morning sixpence gave a porter for carrying my portmanteau to the star one shilling there were only two more in the machine beside me one was i believe a dissenting minister and the other an oxford old lady who is going to cirencester we breakfast at burford for which as we treated the lady cost each of us one shilling sixpence we took up at burford two more passengers one was a servant-man of major hargrove who is at bristol and his man is going to him the other was a stranger of burford a young woman going to cirencester both the women left us at cirencester and then there was only myself the major's servant and the dissenting minister a very well-behaved man i paid my remaining part of the fare at burford he had paid nine shillings on the thirteenth in advance and for my portmanteau the overweight ten shillings sixpence we dined at tetbury with a stranger a tradesman for my dinner and drinking afterwards paid two shillings we got into bath this evening about seven o'clock and we put up at the king's arms in broad street where i supped and spent the evening and laid my father's man met me here this evening with horses may twenty fourth we got home to ansford to dinner where i dined supped and laid at my father's house blessed be almighty god for sending me safe home to my dear parents again on may twenty sixth he begins his curacy at c carry and gets twenty pounds a year from his father for it this means he can only take one service at babkery on sunday may twenty seventh breakfast dined and laid at home again brother john dined breakfast and laid here again after dinner jack went to wincanton to a pony race and he did not return till after ten this evening i am greatly afraid jack is rather wild but i hope not may twenty eighth brother john spent the evening at the fair at castle carry may twenty ninth i read prayers this morning at c carry it being the commemorating the restoration of king charles the second june sixth gave my old woman's daughter a fairing as she goes to camel fair to-day which was one shilling gave my clerk there babkery and one tom hushins one shilling to lay out at camel fair june twenty third i buried poor will burge this evening at ansford church for my father i hope he is happy poor will went with me the very last time that i went to oxford and i liked him much june twenty fourth i read prayers this morning at c carry it being st john's day coming from church i called in at stephen gibbs at c carry and i prayed by his wife who is very ill i gave poor stephen gibbs to buy something for her one shilling july eighth brother john breakfast dined supped and laid here again brother john is very indifferent by his being too busy with girls on july eleventh he gives a dinner party at babkery to fourteen c carry gentlemen one of whom he observes 
was not invited. We all spent the greatest part of the afternoon in the churchyard at Babcree, where we were diverted by some of the gentlemen playing at ball. Note, fives, I fear against the church wall, at which I won a betting two shillings ninepence. The gentlemen seemed well pleased at the entertainment, which gave me infinite satisfaction. A terrible accident happened whilst we were at dinner, which many of us went to see the body, viz. a poor boy was dragged and killed by a horse about a half-mile from us on the Ilchester Road. The boy was about fourteen years old. I hope to God the poor boy is happy. There was no bone broken, neither was his skull fractured, but he is dead. We all came home singing, and I thank God well. My brother John was indisposed, therefore he could not go. July 23rd. Dined and spent the afternoon at Mr. Clark's. One farmer Tottle of Avard, a clergyman's son, a very hearty man, and within one year of fourscore, spent the afternoon at Mr. Clark's, as did another farmer. July 26th for three framed pictures for my tent of a boy, paid three shillings. N.B. They are new-fashioned pictures of their majesties, Mr. Pitt and Mr. Legg, Prince Ferdinand and the Marquis of Granby. Of these celebrities it will be unnecessary to say anything of their majesties, King George III and his queen, or of Mr. Pitt, the elder, of course, made Earl of Chatham in the middle of the following year, 1766. Mr. Legg, Prince Ferdinand, and the Marquis of Granby are, however, today no more than names to nine out of ten persons, whether educated or otherwise, and the following biographical snapshots may, perhaps, help the reader to understand why our diarist hung their pictures in his tent. Henry Bilson Legg was born in 1708, the fourth son of the first Earl of Dartmouth. He owed his start in political life to Sir Robert Walpole to whom he was private secretary. After holding a series of posts of minor importance, he became Chancellor of the Exchequer in 1754, George III, who disliked him, making it a condition that Legg should never enter his closet. With two intervals, in 1755 and again in 1757, he was Chancellor of the Exchequer until 1761. He was dismissed in that year by George III because he refused to pay a large sum to the landgrave of Hesse. He shared in a measure in Pitt's popularity whose colleague he was. If not an eminent statesman, he was no fool, and Horace Walpole regarded his death in 1764 as a severe loss to the Whigs. His unpopularity with George III doubtless increased his popularity with the public, and the diarist, who was a moderate Tory if not a Whig, would like to have in his tent the picture of a man who resisted the dangerously encroaching power of King George III. In conclusion, I cannot resist quoting a slightly cynical reference made to him by Lord Shelburne in a letter addressed by the latter to Lord Bute on October 6, 1761. Mr. Legg, whatever opinion your lordship, I or some others, may have of him as a gold box, one box is out and another put in his place. Shelburne means that Legg will be of value merely as being a popular commoner in a ministry too freely composed of nobles. Note 1. Lord Fitzmaurice's Life of Shelburne, Volume 1, page 90. See also the D.N.B. Prince Ferdinand of Brunswick was bred, 
to quote his contemporary Lord Shelburne, not only in the camp, but in the court of Prussia. He was in all respects an experienced soldier and a proud high man. Note 2. Fitzmaurice's Life of Shelburne, Volume 1, page 244. He commanded the Allied forces against the French in the Seven Years' War, and won a succession of now almost forgotten victories, among them Minden, 1759, Wellinghausen, 1761, Wilhelmstar, 1762, in five campaigns against superior forces. The great historian of the British army refers to Ferdinand as a soldier who little though we know him was the greatest commander who led British troops to victory in Europe between Marlborough and Wellington. British troops may feel proud to have so served under so able a soldier and so great and gallant a man in the campaigns which they fought in Germany for the conquest of their own empire. Note 1. Fortescue's History of the British Army, Volume 2, pages 567-568. John Manners, Marquis of Granby, was the son of the third Duke of Rutland, and was born in 1721. He started his career in politics, then entered the army, and finally reverted to politics again. But it is as a soldier, not as a politician, that his name is notable. He commanded a regiment, which he had himself raised, at Culloden, in 1746, and when the Seven Years' War broke out he entered the fray. He was present at the Battle of Minden in 1759, which was won by Prince Ferdinand of Brunswick, largely by British valor, and despite the disgraceful conduct of the British commander, Lord George Sackville, afterwards court-martialed. But it was at Warburg in the following year that he made his name, when he led a magnificent and devastating cavalry charge which overwhelmed the French. He continued to distinguish himself as the commander of the British troops under Prince Ferdinand till the end of the war. He died in 1770. Lord Acton, in his lecture on Frederick the Great, note Acton's Lectures on Modern History, pages 290-304, to thus characteristically refers, in the course of his remarks on the Seven Years' War, to Lord Granby, when the Marquess of Granby did better at Warburg, the joy was great, and he became a popular hero. His hat and wig were blown off as he led the charge, and his portrait, bareheaded, in a high wind, is at Trinity, and was on the sign of many an inn, especially of a well-known one at Dorking, in Mr. Pickwick's time. July 30th. Jack made Papa this evening very angry and uneasy by his defending suicide and talking so saucy to him. Jack is much altered indeed within these two years. I am afraid he will be ever miserable, but God forbid. August 13th. I went to see Carrie Church this morning and christened a child of Mr. Seth Burgess by the name of Mary Russ. From church I went to Seth Burgess where I dined, spent the afternoon, supped, and spent the evening. Mem, we were to have had a ham and fowls for dinner there, but the maid forgot to boil the ham. September 10th. Jack supped out and did not come home till just twelve o'clock. It is not well of him to stay so late as Mama is so bad. September 20th. Papa and Brother John had some words this evening, but it ended very well between them at last. September 26th. Spent the afternoon at Lower House. Note. 
The lower house in Ashford was part of his mother's estate. She was a local heiress, and he lived here with his brother John until his father's death. This house, of which the present owner of the diary has a pleasant picture, no longer exists. With brother John and one Cass Thomas of Evercreech, of whom my brother John bought a mare this afternoon, and saddle and bridle for the sum of eight pounds eight shillings. September 28th. Dr. Clark's cookmaid Mary was this morning found out in concealing a dead child in her box, of which she had delivered herself yesterday morning. Whether she murdered it or not is not yet known, but will be tried by the coroner and jury next Monday. September 30th. The coroner, Mr. Norton, with the jury, took inquest this afternoon upon the deceased child, a boy, of Dr. Clark's maid Mary, and brought her in not guilty. On October 6th he takes service at Babkery for the last time, being succeeded by a Mr. Colmer. Most of October is spent in getting into the lower house, carpenters at work, etc. On November 5th he enters that he reads prayers at Castlecarry Church, being gunpowder treason plot. December 1st I read prayers and preached this afternoon at C. Carry Church, Mrs. White, Mrs. Sam White, Mr. Andrew Russ, Mr. James, and Richard Clark, and Brother Hise, supped and spent the evening with us at the parsonage. My father did not come downstairs all the evening on account of the company and Mama being ill. It vexed my father and mother greatly to have company brought to the house by Jack on Sunday, and especially as my mother is so bad. December 4th. Brother John went out early this morning, and did not return all day and night. He is gone a-courting. December 19th. Jack kept me up very late this evening at the lower house, by not coming home till past twelve o'clock. End of section 7, 1765